You're listening to Civic from the San Francisco Public Press. On this edition, we'll hear about the effort to get a vaccination site to the Mission District, which has been particularly hard hit by the coronavirus, and why neighborhood sites are so crucial. The one thing I do fear is the disproportionate rollout of vaccines in other parts of the country, where we have seen a lot of folks within the white community that maybe have not been suffering to the large degree going into neighborhoods like Washington Heights out in the East Coast or South Central LA just down South and going into communities of color where they know there's vaccines and trying to take either the appointments or you know get the ones that weren't used, et cetera. That is a concern that I have that we haven't seen yet here in San Francisco. I'm Laura Wenis, and this is Civic. Civic is underwritten in part by the San Francisco Foundation, which has been acting as a catalyst for change to build strong communities, foster civic leadership, and promote philanthropy in the San Francisco Bay Area since 1948. More at sff.org. On Monday, a coronavirus vaccination center opened in the Mission District. This was a collaborative effort between the city, the community-based Latino task force, and UCSF. It's one of several new vaccination sites in the city. On Tuesday, people started getting vaccinated at a Bayview pop-up site. The Mission District and the city's Latino population have been among those hit hardest and most disproportionately by the coronavirus pandemic, so the Latino Task Force has been working to help bring testing and the vaccine to where those most affected live and work. On Monday afternoon, after their first day of putting shots in arms, I talked about that with John Jacobo, who chairs the health committee for the task force. Congratulations, first of all, because I think that this was probably a huge effort. How are you feeling about having opened this mass vaccination site today? God, it is a honestly a huge milestone, um, an incredible amount of excitement, relief, um, a lot of emotions, actually, you know, even some that, you know, I don't know, evoke kind of sad emotion, right? It's like, we're so excited to be achieving something because we're living in such a kind of dark moment in human history in some ways. Um, But it's so beautiful to be reminded how amazing the human spirit is within community organizers, you know, within, uh, you know, doctors, within government officials that are truly trying to do what they can to help save lives, quite literally. And, you know, it it was beautiful. There's really no other way to put it. And how has it gone? I mean, we're almost at the end of the day, I think. Um, You had a goal for getting a certain number of people vaccinated today. What's your assessment of how the first day has gone? I think it went off without a hitch. I think, you know, we, we did an internal soft launch last week, right, as our Latino Task Force and UCSF group. And, and to be clear here, the two main drivers of this are the Latino Task Force and the University of California, San Francisco. The city is obviously a partner, but they're you know providing vaccines. That's about it. Uh, UCSF has privately fundraised money uh, and able to kind of pay for this on the front end. And community is obviously you know, galvanized around this to ensure that we're doing the outreach we need. And we're obviously thankful for the partnership and look forward to the city taking this over here soon. I would say that for the first day, the goal was 120 people, and that is exactly what we did. When we did our dry run last week, you know, um, it, it went off without a hitch as well. I just think we are such a well-oiled machine at this point. You know, after I don't know, close to 40,000 tests that we've done in the field, 
Uh, just as the Latino Task Force and UCSF or DPH, I feel that we're, you know, we know we're, we've become pros at this point. Can you say more about how the vaccines are being procured? Because my understanding is that UCSF as a multi-county entity is in fact receiving vaccine doses. And then there's the city receiving vaccine doses. Um, so why why is it the city that's funneling vaccines to this initiative rather than UCSF? Or is there like a reason for that that I'm not grasping? I actually don't know. That's actually a really good question for DPH. And maybe... No, I, I'm not. I don't think I am, I am misunderstanding. It is DPH that is providing these. My that's that's what I've heard. That's what I've heard in conversations when we had these conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's a very good question. I mean, for me, it would kind of be, it should be the you know this is very much a public health crisis, and you know I feel like DPH should be kind of the lead in that. You know, I mm-hmm. think that much like testing, we've shown the you know inept kind of inability to really move to scale within this the city and within our Department of Public Health. And th- this isn't just a critique to RDPH, right? I think this is just a problem with the Department of Public Health that I'm not sure any any DPH in any county that has actually been able to rise to the occasion to meet the demand that, yeah. that has been put before them, right? I'm curious if you could maybe say a bit more about how this came together, because we've been hearing about the city working with community partners for a while, at least since the big hearing a few weeks back before the Board of Supervisors. When did the work between UCSF and the Latino Task Force and the city really start in earnest to get this thing off the ground? That's a very good question. I mean, in reality, right, we, the community group, the Latino Task Force and UCSF, like we've been on this. This has been our war path. Like in right. my in my personal mind, as we've advocated for more in community testing, every site we pop up, every location that we're at, in my mind, I have always thought about this will eventually pivot and turn into a vaccination destination. And for me, it's because we, the community group, are able to build trust and relationships through consistency of service that allows us to become one with community. And for me, knowing, you know, the history of of medicine and vaccinations with the communities of concern, right, the brown and black community in particular, um, I knew that we were going to need this as we move forward. So for us as a unit and working with UCSF, right, I always knew this is where we were heading. And we began to look at our, our current bridge project, which we didn't really talk about today because the city didn't really acknowledge UCSF too much or, or the kind of the, the grander work of, of the LTF. But we're currently under a bridge campaign. And, and what's that? And what that is, it's, it's the bridge from testing to vaccination. Mm. Back in maybe November, October, November, we started to have these conversations about, okay, the vaccines are coming. How are we going to start disseminating them in the field, in community, right? And we started to think about how we can enhance our testing model to provide not just rapid testing, but rapid response to ensure that the people that test positive without, you know, the basic resources they need could be covered, right? How do we go from there to then knowing where community is with vaccinations and getting them to it? And so we started this concept probably back in like, I want to say like September, October, when we started playing with the Binex rapid testing that we're using. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so we have personally been in these discussions and semi-advocacy probably since then. In earnest, the conversation with the city probably started to happen 
where are we at now? February? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's really hard for me to remember, to be honest. Maybe January, maybe the beginning of January, maybe <laughs> December. I, I don't honestly, it's hard to, to really think about when when it was. Are you getting from the city as the Latino task force what you need in order to do this work? I would say if it were not right now for UCSF and the funding that we've gotten, I am not sure we would be vaccinating in the field today. That is my honest answer. I do know, and I will say, that the city is working towards actually doing this, right? Getting UCSF out of it and being able to do it themselves. And so, and I do feel that they are truly coming to us as the LTF with that kind of level of respect of like, we are partners in this and we need you. And I think that is, that for me, this is, you know, one of the first times that the relationship has felt as strong as it does now. And that is just, you know, me being pretty transparent and honest. Yeah. Getting to the details on the ground, first of all, how does having these sites in specific parts of the city in doing this in the field, as you put it, affect people's ability to access the vaccine? I think it's it's huge. I think it makes a significant difference like, here's the thing, you can build it anywhere, but they will not necessarily come. They will not necessarily show up. And by they, I mean the community groups that you are intending on targeting. We can actually kind of run a parallel example. It's obviously different, but pretty similar in testing, right? Uh, let's take the Embarcadero site, which is, you know, the city's huge thing where they're like, look at our Embarcadero site. We can do 1,700 tests a day drive up, you know, you can register online and show up. Well, when you look at demographics of who's going there, it's, you know, roughly about uh, just focusing on the Latino community who has been disproportionately impacted, right? At our peak, 15 times more likely than any other ethnic group to have COVID-19 in the city. So when you look at the Latino community in relation to the Embarcadero, they are about 14, 15% of the overall tests done in the Embarcadero. And of course, we're about 14 to 15% of the population, right? So you think, okay, on par with population makes sense. But is that on par with the proportion of positives, right? Mm -hmm. So that is Embarcadero. When you bring the testing to the mission, what we are seeing right now is it is about 75 to 83% Latino that comes and gets tested. So the idea that you build it and they will come, we obviously have proved, has, has been proven that is not true. It has to be brought to them, brought to community, and it has to be brought in part by community with messaging that is culturally relevant and that is peer-to-peer by a trusted voice that can help get it done. How do people figure out if they're eligible to make an appointment at this site now and how will they in the future? Well, that's this is where I have to, you know, push this kind of back on the city. Um, There needs to be a location where people can register. I don't think that exists at this current moment. Um, I think that the city is still getting its bearings under itself, I I believe. I don't know. Um, Right now, we don't have the capacity to, to register anyone beyond our universe and our universe being the Latino task force, all the collective CBOs that do the frontline work, meaning, you know, under the states, under the state's guidelines, 
community health worker that either provides direct services to testing locations or social services connected to um, uh, the response to COVID-19, right? So we can cover that section. Then we have a universe of individuals. As I mentioned, we've, we've tested close to maybe 40,000 people. Um, and of that, we can, you know, look at the look at the people above 65 that the governor would like to focus on. But beyond that, right now, we don't have the capabilities to be able to register anybody n- new. Right. And that is something the city needs to do and they need to fix or, or they need to create, I should say. Given that this is a neighborhood specific site and you're bringing it to, you know, people who have been underserved, but overly affected, disproportionately affected, I should say, is there a geographic restriction on eligibility to get vaccinated at this site? I think for us, you know, I don't think we've looked this far down the road, but I think to some degree, the answer is kind of yes and no, right? In part, we are the Latino task force. And so, you know, clearly we have a focus it's not exclusive to, but it is a heavy focus. And the Latino community is our focus because as we know, at, at our peak, again, 15 times more likely to have COVID, represented about 55% of all cases and 24% of all deaths in the city. And so because of that, uh, we are absolutely intending on reaching the Latino community. So on one hand, right, it's, of course, a lot of Latinos live in the Mission District, about 38% of the population given last census count. But we also know 27% of the Bayview is Latino. And we know that in the Excelsior and the Tenderloin, et cetera, in all parts of the city, Latinos live and have often been pushed out of the Mission District or work in the Mission District or come back to the Mission District to get their produce, their their food, their connection, right? So I think the idea would be to be a culturally relevant hub where the Latino community can come to to be vaccinated. But of course, not exclusive to, of course, right? But the one thing I do fear, uh, kind of on a, on a broader sense here, is the disproportionate rollout of vaccines in other parts of the country, yeah. where we have seen, you know, our, the, the, a lot of folks within the white community that maybe have not been suffering to the large degree going into neighborhoods like Washington Heights out in the East Coast or South Central LA, just down South, and going into communities of color where they know there's vaccines and trying to take either the appointments or, you know, get the ones that weren't used, et cetera. That is a concern that I have that we haven't seen yet here in San Francisco. And for me, it's about lifting the social conscious of us as a society. If you have the privilege of staying home every day and only have to go out for very, you know, basic things like food um, and are not an essential worker and are not at great risk, should you, jump ahead of others that are not just at risk, but truly suffering at much more disproportionate levels. And, you know, I guess that's when you get into this, you know, what area, where do people go? The solution, of course, is for the feds, the state and the city to have enough vaccines, number one, and number two, the proper infrastructure to ensure that they can disseminate these things widely. You know, that is really how we prevent the the problem that I've kind of laid out. And I hope that the city is actually active in its strategy to develop and moves quick enough to answer that call. I'm speaking with John Jacobo, Health Committee Chair for the Latino Task Force. One of the things that I noticed today in the coverage of the opening is that um, there's a 
there's an opportunity for people to walk up and see if they're eligible because right now so many of the resources that for for eligibility for figuring stuff out for information that people are being directed to are online and a lot of people who are theoretically eligible like people who are seniors for example they hear that and they say i I can't work with that. <laughs> um, so can you tell me a bit about your efforts to make sure that the information that you have is accessible and that you are doing outreach in ways that are accessible to people? Well, I'll tell you that the the actual whole premise of the Latino task force revolves around that right there, that, yeah. that not everybody is online and able to navigate. What we know through a survey done through one of our larger nonprofits in the Mission District focusing on monolingual Spanish speaking, our monolingual Spanish speaking community, is that 33% of the survey respondents for that nonprofit said that they did not have access to the Internet. And that arguably is the 33%, which is the hardest hit and the most on the margins. What we know is when it gets to our senior population, the technology piece is not as fluid. My grandma, who I love to death, just turned 86 uh, on Sunday. So, you know, happy birthday. Shout out to Grams. Uh, oh, happy would, birthday. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Would, you know, would have a very difficult time trying to navigate these systems. For us, the goal and the gold standard is to be there in person with the technology and the support to get you in and out or get you the answers you need. And on that, we have developed a new program within the Latino Task Force known as the Community Health Team. They are promoters of health or promotoras de salud. And what their responsibility is, there's a lot of things, but one of their main ones is to know all the latest and greatest information on vaccine rollout, vaccine numbers, who is eligible, who's not. And when the city and county gives us the ability to be able to register people, they'll be able to register you on the spot. You don't even have to pull out your phone and hopefully we'll have these tablets as we do now when we register people in line and get a COVID test for them to be able to just be registered on the spot and be sent, you know, the date when they have to arrive at what time. Right. And those are the kinds of features that we're going to have to have as a society to tackle this pandemic and ensure that we are getting everybody that we need to get to be vaccinated. You mentioned something earlier about unused doses and i'm actually curious and looking at your at, at how, how this is unfolding so far i imagine this isn't a problem immediately but what do you have a contingency plan for if somehow you end up with doses at the site that aren't spoken for and it's coming up on the end of the day yes we do right now it is um, because we do have a universe that we are working with we have a system which allows us to randomly generate names from that list right of these mm. community health workers uh, or people over 65 within our Unidos in Salud network that have tested with us in the past. And they will get a notification that there is eligibility uh, for vaccine at the end of the day. So even then it is still done internally, right? And that is in part to try to prevent some of these vaccine chasers that we've seen um, actually in, in South Central LA, pr predominantly black neighborhood where a lot of, you know, white folks and, you know, pulling up in Audis, as the article has described, and, you know, kids are parking and waiting outside and working on their laptop, waiting oh for those extra vaccines at the end of the day. What we're trying to do is say, look, it's not that all of us don't need it, of course, right? But what we're trying to do is tackle and, and protect those closest to the pain first. And as we do that, we can work down the list. So we have this kind of system right now that allows us to generate those to make sure that nothing goes to waste and that it's going to those people that need it most. 
Can you tell me more about the Unidos en Salud network and how people, uh, you know, are, are entered into that? You mentioned testing. Yes. So part of um, part of this is all reliant on the, the great work. And I really want to give a special shout out to Dr. Diane Havler and also Dr. Karina Marquez and a retired nurse Dion Jones, three key players in this entire thing. They are the ones that came to us and said, guys, 83% of the, the hospital uh, of, our, of our, you know, emergency care unit uh, that are sick right now are Latinos from the Mission District. You know, they are the ones that came to us with this idea to begin community testing. They are the ones that have taught me so much in what I know now. For many of you that may have known me in the past or not or still do, you know, my day job is the director of policy and advocacy at doing land use and planning and a housing, affordable housing developer, not, not public health, right? Uh, but we've learned all these things because of this very intimate work we've done. And so back in April, we started, you know, doing this in-community massive testing where we would do, you know, testing events over four days and knock out 5,000 people, right? Uh, and providing the first in-community in uh, low barrier COVID testing, right, in the nation. Like this is what we were doing uh, back in April and we've been doing it since. So in all of our projects, we've tested people, we've surveyed them. And we've always asked them if they'd like to remain connected um, to our Unidos en Salud project and if they would like to uh, be notified of opportunities of the future for additional testing or vaccines or what have you. And that is how we have been able to, you know, keep that list of, you know, those thousands of people. And then we can parcel that out, of course, for people over 65 or whatever, whatever parameters we'd like. Mm -hmm. um, and that is the that is what we're working with right now. And, and what we want is to ultimately, again, have the city have a registration portal or something that exists that can allow people to register and can bring this online. I know for a fact that we're going to get there. I know for a fact the city is working on that. Um, and, you know, we just need to try to do this as quick as we possibly can, while also ensuring that we're advocating for more vaccines and hopefully getting it uh, under this new administration in Washington. We've talked a little bit about testing and, and the testing effort that the Latino Task Force and UCSF have undertaken for since almost the beginning of the pandemic. Um, and this vaccine site is fairly close to where you've been running testing operations. I read earlier today that there's been coordination between the testing and vaccine services. So what recommendations might somebody who gets tested at the mission site get from staff, depending on what the result of their rapid test is? So, yeah, so actually these two are actually absolutely connected. They are both, both the testing site at 24th and the vaccine site are both a part of the Latino Task Force and UCSF's Unidos en Salud project. And we are operating both, right? And of course, for those that don't know right now, again, focusing on those closest to the pain being the Latino community, which as we've surveyed, you know, over 20% of them know someone who has died or been severely ill from COVID-19. We are working to provide service uh, to ensure that we have low barrier rapid testing with rapid response there. So when somebody tests positive, not only do they get a quick notification, they get a call from somebody from our clinical response team, uh, either a doctor or a nurse or a medical student. And then followed after that, obviously a very you know anxious phone call, a very um, serious and delicate phone call. After that's done, it's transferred to our community wellness team that is staffed by community case managers that call people that are positive 
and help support those that don't have a support system themselves. If you are an undocumented day laborer, meaning you earn cash every day, and you don't have that Costco card and a truck to be able to go and grab two weeks worth of food and shelter and bunker down you know, in a home, then you very well likely need support. And the community wellness team helps provide that support. So right now, that's kind of where it goes. What we are doing, of course, is um, letting them know that we now will have a vaccine service on into the future where folks can eventually, keeping our fingers crossed uh, and quickly, again, keeping our fingers crossed, will be able uh, to access this vaccination location. That's kind of where, where we are right now as we move into this next phase of our project question about once people do get vaccinated after they receive the vaccine what do you tell people in terms of how they should act with regard to masking social distancing etc um because you know there is some question about whether or not you can still pass on the virus if you've been vaccinated that is yes that is a very good question and it's actually something that we're doing right now so um our community health team you know shout out to uh, maria lupita contreras with clinica martin marro uh, who was helping lead uh, at our testing site, our community health team. Part of what they're doing, you know, after, well, maybe folks don't know this, right? After you get your COVID shot, you have to kind of sit down for 15 to 30 minutes uh, to make sure that you don't have any kind of like anaphylactic shock or some kind mm-hmm. of very severe reaction to the vaccine, right? Which is actually incredibly, it's very rare, but of course it does happen. And so we have a paramedic on standby, we have a doctor on standby, and we have EpiPens, right? So while you're there, you know, kind of a captive audience here. So our community health team is able to discuss these very questions, right? Coming up with a a fun game, you know, like a true or false, right? True or false. After you get your shot, you no longer have to wear a mask or follow the CDC guidelines on COVID-19 type things, right? Because you're quote unquote immune. Uh, Of course, people will answer how they will. The answer is that's false. You absolutely still do have to wear a mask because as we understand it today, you could potentially still be transmitting COVID-19, although you will not have any symptoms from it. And since everybody else doesn't have a vaccine, you could be giving it to a loved one and hurting them in the process. So we are obviously taking all of this from the doctors we work with, Dr. Diane Havler, Dr. Karina Marquez, the Department of Public Health, the CDC, the California Department of Public Health, and creating this kind of information to make sure that people that get vaccinated understand what that means as far as we know today with the science that um, that we have. This has been really illuminating for me. So thanks for explaining it all. Is there anything you wanted to talk about that I didn't ask you about with regard to the site, um, what people should know, and what happens next? I would say that this is a beautiful step along the way, but we haven't quite arrived to where we want to be. And I think that all of us have to be advocating more of our local government, more of our state government, and more of our federal government, while also having patience and understanding that it is a huge mountain to climb. But we should all be climbing as fast as we can to get to the mountaintop. So I would just ask folks to do a little bit of both, right? I think I I believe in being able to advocate very fiercely, but being compassionate and understanding at the same time. I do believe in duality and I think you can do both, but we should expect the most and we should have the highest standard for one of the wealthiest cities in the country and one of the wealthiest states in the world. Um, And so I would just ask folks to 
do a little bit of both, but uh, also be a little hopeful and knowing that you know we're on our way uh, to a new normal. John, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. That was John Jacobo, who chairs the Health Committee for the Latino Task Force. We reached out to the city's clearinghouse for COVID inquiries to confirm a few details from this conversation, including who's providing the vaccine doses at the mission site and how decisions are made about how many doses to allocate to each site. The city's COVID command center responded that site daily dose allocation is dependent on vaccine supply. Right now, the vaccine site at 24th and Cap Streets is distributing 120 doses a day with a goal of scaling up to 200 to 400 per day if supply allows. Distribution is focused on community health workers and those over 65 years of age in the Unidos en Salud network. It's in operation Sunday through Wednesday by appointment only. I'm Laura Wenis, and you've been listening to Civic. Civic is underwritten in part by the San Francisco Foundation, which has been acting as a catalyst for change to build strong communities, foster civic leadership, and promote philanthropy in the San Francisco Bay Area since 1948. More at sff.org.